You are listening to the Revive the World Ministries podcast. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.org or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. So this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, familiarity. The familiarity is actually, uh, I believe, personally, one of our greatest enemies. Being familiar, and this is, this is what I'm talking about. There's a difference between being familiar, because if you look up the definition of familiar, it would come with, uh, well, I know somebody better and better, right? But I'm using the word familiar in the context that we actually get so accustomed to somebody, that we get so used to them, that we forget the grace, the anointing, the gifting, uh, the call on their life in the context of people, and then also that we sometimes become so familiar with Jesus that we lose awe and wonder of who He is. And so let me read you a couple passages. I'm going to read out of John chapter 6, and I want to tell you that I believe that familiarity robs us sometimes from a greater revelation of who Jesus is to us and robs us of actually taking our beliefs to higher levels. Um, And so this is a a passage out of, at the beginning of John 6, you'll see Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And if your Bible has headings in it, you'll see that. And this is right after uh, Jesus walks on water. And I'm going to start in about, uh, I'm going to read a few more verses than I customarily would on a Sunday morning, but it's going to, I want to put it in proper context for you. You know what I mean? This is not a passage that I can just pull something out of. And uh, I guess I could, but I'm I'm not going to because I don't feel good about it theologically. So John chapter 6, verse 30, this is the discussion that Jesus is having with the Jewish people about being the bread from heaven. And so starting in verse 30, this is out of the New King James it says, therefore, they said to him, what, a sign, what sign will you perform then that we may see it, and believe, see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the Jewish people are looking for a sign of wonder, as they had oftentimes throughout the Gospels. Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I don't know who said it, but I heard Eric Gilmore quoted is that Jesus was so full of love that he fell to the earth. I like that. (laughs) Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me should I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son believes in him. May everyone that sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. My gosh, in those verses right there, that's the whole gospel, isn't it? Come to Jesus, 
and let him be the only one that satisfies you. Make him Lord of everything, right? It's the gateway into him becoming father and friend. And then I come into the intimacy that, you know, as I come into the intimacy, Jesus, or Jesus, Jesus talks about, Joe was talking about. <laughs> uh, we, we realize these things and that Jesus really does become the bread of heaven for us. Is that natural things were never created to satisfy us. They can sustain us when it comes to food and water, but satisfaction only comes from the one who is the true bread of heaven and the, few, and the true drink of heaven, right? But can you imagine being there when, when, the, when these guys heard this? They were like, bread from heaven? You? Like, what are you saying? Like, to, to you and I, we can look at this from a spiritual perspective because we have the Holy Spirit. These people didn't have the Holy Spirit, and they're looking at it from natural standards. And so all they can think is natural things. You ever been in that position? All you can think is nat natural things. And so I believe that familiarity also it causes th that at times. So, so all, the, all they can think about is, is food, food and water, in which if I, I preach for an hour, that's all some of you could think about too. And <laughs> you're like, I've been here when you've done that. And <laughs> verse 41, the Jews... Then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, pay attention here, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then, he says, I have come down from heaven? <clears throat> Let me touch on this first and then I'll, I might touch on Mark 6 because it's, it's another, it's a, I believe that there's parallels in it. And so the Jewish people, because they knew the mother and father of Jesus, they were familiar with them. They thought there's no way that this guy could possibly be who he says he is, All right? They actually gained that what their, their familiarity with his parents gained them only a natural perspective and led them into unbelief. Isn't that messed up? Right? It, it would be similar as to a religion that deemed Jesus to only be a prophet. Because whatever you see him as, or the familiarity that you have with him theologically or revelatory, then you can only, you're only going to be able to see him through those lenses. Right? That it removes awe and wonder, which I believe is the primary place that every person on the planet ever has been, ever will be, is to remain in for all of, all of eternity. Not just all of just this life, because this life is relatively short, but this is, this is the life where we start it at. When we come into relationship with Jesus, I love what Joe said, is that Jesus didn't come just to get us to heaven. Actually, he says, I come so that you could go back to the Father. Right? So that you could have a relationship with him and know that the Father encompasses heaven. And if you're in him, you actually never die, even though you will stop breathing at some point in this life. Eternal life has already started the moment that we were born again. Isn't that good news? <laughs> we already have eternal life. Okay. I thought you'd have been more excited about it, but <laughs> maybe you're internally processing it. <laughs> and so the, these particular people, this is, let me read a little bit to you out of Mark chapter 6. And um, I'm going to try to tie these up in a relatively neat bow. Even though if you saw one of my presents that I wrapped, you would think that there was no way anything I was going to do would 
with a bow would be neat unless it was already made and you just stick that thing on there. Don't you love those? <laughs> Do you love it better when your wife wraps the presents? <laughs> yes. Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, Nikki and, and, and Lindsay and Owen, the entryway, the, I know that some of it was Owen. The majority was Nikki and, and, <laughs> and Lindsay. <laughs> uh, even though if it wasn't for Owen putting things together, it wouldn't happen. The entryway, both parts, they did all that, which was incredible. Thank you both so much. All three of you so much. It was looks good. You, you may think that, well, why do you guys are preparing to stay longer. No, we're just taking care of what we have because when you steward well what you already have, it actually shows that you're prepared to have something else. It's like having an apartment before you have a house. When you can take care of somebody else's stuff, then you're prepared to have your own. We're taking care of somebody else's stuff. Right? This feels prophetic. This, <laughs> it's accidental, but this, this is, uh, this, we're taking care of somebody else's stuff so that we can have a bigger place of, of our own. So keep on praying for that and share with us things that you think Jesus shows us or shows you or practical things that um, you find. So Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, talking about Jesus, and the disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which, he is, which was given to him? that such mighty works are performed by his hands. And then, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now we could only do, he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So in this particular passage in Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus is the, the fact that they were familiar with him actually led them into offense. And so th this is what I propose to you, these two particular points, that there is the familiarity that we have with Jesus as believers that when we get born again, we come into this place of awe and wonder. Do you remember the fire that you carried when you got saved? Right? I was in the, one of the craziest places I've ever been when I gave my life to Jesus. Um, I had my lawyer come visit me, and I had been... <laughs> if you, you'll pick it up eventually. I had my lawyer come visit me, uh, who was my sister, and she, she looked at me from across the table after I had truly got born again, not just said a prayer, but actually gave my life to Jesus. And she looked at me and she said, this is freaky. She said, you're so happy that this, I think, she thought I'd lost my mind. She thought he just, you know, it finally snapped. I already thought you were a little crazy anyway, but you finally, this was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And, and now you're just loony. And, and here we are, you know, 13 years later and I still look like this. And they're like, this must be real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's Jesus. He's very real. <laughs> and so the, the, that, if you've been, who, who's been saved longer than a year or two years? Like probably all of you in the room, right? You, you've been saved longer than that. So who knows that the Christian life has become for maybe not all of us, but for me at times, it's been more of a roller coaster than it has been a gradual uh, <laughs> incline or ascension to the hill of the Lord, right? 
Do we get messed up by it? We're learning, we're growing, our mind's being transformed. We live by our emotions at times, and we're like, I don't feel good, so I don't feel spiritual, or I don't feel, I don't feel saved, or I don't feel like a son, I don't feel like a daughter. I'm not actually, we let our feelings run us. It might be true, maybe for, I don't know. Probably nobody in this room, maybe somebody watching. <laughs> right? It's happened to me since, you know, in the last three or four months when I've been sick. I just, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced, I've, I've walked through, I've, I've learned to thank God in the tough, the tough seasons where you feel like you're being pressed. I've learned to thank Him because there's things that are revealed in us in these seasons that otherwise... He could, have, he could have done it anyway. He's God. Like, he doesn't have to use tough seasons, right? And he definitely doesn't cause them. I am not at all saying that. But I'm saying that I believe he capitalizes on everything that we, we go through and shows us that he's good and he, he actually refines us through the process. You know, refinement is, is a whole life process. If you, if you don't like refinement, I would learn to like it. <laughs> I would learn to love it. <laughs> I would learn for it, it to be our, our BFF, right? For real. Because it, it, it doesn't look the same in every season, but we're constantly being refined into the image of Jesus. And so that was, you know, I know we've walk, I've walked through a lot, you've walked through a lot in our Christian life. But have you ever become so familiar? Let me just use the Bible as an example. Have you ever become so familiar with a passage that you're doing your daily devotions or you're reading or your time with Jesus and you just read... You just read over something, you're like, yep, saw that before, read that before, and it doesn't move you anymore. I can't, how many, I can't tell you how many times I've done that, to where I'm like, oh, I just, I, I, I've, I get that. Like, I, oh, I, I understand that. I can't believe I've ever said that. I love what. Bill Johnson said, don't tell me you love Jesus and don't love the Word. Jesus is the Word. <laughs> I thought, whoa. But familiarity with the passages, with theological, even theological perspectives. Now, this is what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the gospel. It is unchanging. It is absolute. It's Jesus paid for our our sin, His blood atones for everything. What He did at the cross is once and for all. His death, burial, resurrection, then 40 days on the earth and ascension. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's unchanging. That's not what I'm talking about. But even that, I can become so familiar with, it doesn't move me anymore. Even the name of Jesus, I can become so familiar with that it doesn't move me anymore. I heard somebody say last night, how can the name of Jesus no longer move me? When I think about what he did for me, how's that even possible? I'm like, I don't know, but I've been there. <sighs> right? I could be in the front row of this message. This is literally, I'm breaking off a piece of the season of my life that I'm going through and the things that God is overhauling me in. And, and so this is, this is what I saw in, <clears throat> in John chapter 6. When I'm sorry, yeah, John chapter 6 is when the Jewish people had become so familiar with Jesus' family that they could not see him as the Son of God. It led them into a place of unbelief that he, they could not see him as the Messiah because they had one perspective of how the Messiah would come, what he would look like. They had one ideology. They had one thing in their minds that when the, when the Savior comes, he'll look like this. 
And even what he did was stated in their scriptures. They had, they had the scriptures to tell them prophetically. Isaiah and the prophets had prophesied about how Jesus would come and what he would do. And he did all of those things and they still couldn't see it. They were blinded by the familiarity with who he was, with who his family was, and they could not get a revelation because of it. Familiarity, I believe, became their greatest enemy. And so then we have, in, in Mark chapter 6, we have those that are actually, they're familiar with, with Jesus, not just his, his family. Right? They're familiar with his family, his brothers and sisters, and it takes them into this place that it actually offends them at the thought that he could be who he says he is. Even though he, they were seeing the miracles, they had saw the authority that he walked in, there was no question that this guy was much different than anybody else they had encountered before. But it led them into offense. Do you know what offense is? It literally means to, a trap or to entice to sin. Do you know what in unbelief is? It's sin. It's what we, we were living in before we became believers. We were living in unbelief. Even though we know sometimes people come, become unbelieving believers. <laughs> right? And I know I've, I've been there in, in some things. But their, their lack of being able to see him appropriately actually robbed them from the revelation of who he is and I propose to you that there's people in your own personal life that you become so familiar with that you can miss the grace, the anointing, and the gifting on their life and rob yourself of actually getting something through honor that you would never have to fast or pray for or get breakthrough for. And it's all because we become so familiar with those people that they just, oh, that's just, that's just Sarah, right? And then I rob myself of the grace and the gifting and anointing of the amazing woman of God that Sarah is, right? And I don't see her appropriately. And when I don't see her appropriately, I actually inadvertently rob myself from something that God wanted to give me through relationship with her, right? And vice versa. And this works with all of us. I rob myself inadvertently of that particular thing. And there's not increase like there was supposed to be in our lives so that we can make greater impact on the world around us. And so Jesus, <laughs> this, is, this is what Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. I think I've been going 15 minutes. I want to, so I want to answer the question, hopefully, just begin to answer the question, how do I stay in awe and wonder of who Jesus is? How do I not rob myself of, of being able to see somebody around me but first being able to see him through eyes of awe and wonder through the rest of my life. How do I manage that? Because it is possible, right? I don't think it's just possible. I believe it's probable because the Spirit of God lives in us. And he says all things are, are, are possible, right? And so he's, he's giving us keys to the kingdom to be able to live in a place that keeps us right in between what we call mystery and revelation, which I believe is where awe and wonder is. And that is a place that keeps me growing down like a child, though I grow up in maturity. I, does that make sense? This is why I say that. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) You see this question more than one time. You know, they're jockeying for position. You see that, right? You know, James and John are like, hey, can we sit on your right hand and your left? You know, like there's, it's a position, it's competition at its best. Do you know that there's no, there's to be no competition in the kingdom? Only celebration. Where competition is, celebration can't exist. When I'm competing with you or jockeying for position or trying to out-preach you or see more people saved or I'm just keeping numbers to, or I got a better testimony than you do or whatever, right? There's more people at my church or it's the first question that people ask me when they find out that I pastor. They say, well, how many people do you have? I'm like, you don't even go to church. Why do you even care? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like, but but it's it's how we think from a, an a, from this society in America the the perspective that we have is a corporate America America I'll get it out I, I live here <laughs> I'll eventually say it it's a corporate America perspective to where it's all it's all about numbers but numbers don't in, don't don't equal influence love does. Whoever has the most hope and love will have the most influence. And so Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Sure, this just cracks me up what Jesus does, you know? Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> he literally takes someone that has, has no maturity at all whatsoever, has not been walking with him, hasn't been sent out in authority like to cast out demons and, and see the sick healed and to preach the gospel. He literally picks somebody who's done none of that, doesn't know anything, right? And Jesus just grabs a child and sits them and said, this, this right here, they are the greatest in the kingdom. And I believe by that, Jesus was making a profound statement, and it couples with what he was saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, is that unless one is born again, he'll never see the kingdom. So what happens when you're born again? You can't be in a more vulnerable state when you're actually born, right? You look at, he's he's speaking through terms that we can actually get revelation from because we understand those things in the natural, which can tie to the spiritual and help us to better comprehend through the spirit of God to transform our minds what this Christian life is supposed to be like. And so he says, Unless you become like one of these little children, you will not be able to, you will not be able to, by no means will you enter the kingdom. So there's a couple things that he's saying here. He's saying, look, to enter into the kingdom realm, you're going to have to be born again. Remember what Nicodemus said? He's like, dude, how? How can a full grown man enter into his father, into his mother's womb, right? And then Jesus gives it back to him and says, how, how can you be a Jewish leader and don't understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm like, that's a good one, Jesus. <laughs> and, and so he's, he's pointing out the fact that this is how you get into the kingdom. 
You've got to be born again by the Spirit of God. You believe in me. At one point in John chapter 6, they, they say to him, right before where I started to read, the Jewish people said, what, we want to do the works of God. What do, we, what do we do? You know what Jesus said to them? He said, this is the work of God that you would believe on the one who the Father sent. That's it. He didn't say anything else. He didn't say preach the gospel. He didn't say get, win souls. He didn't say heal the sick, raise the dead. He didn't say any of that. He said, you want to do the work of God? Believe on the one whom, whom God sent. I thought, that's profound. And so he's pointing us in this particular statement in Matthew 18 to the beginning, how we enter into kingdom living, how we become kingdom kids. That's what we call sons and daughters. There's a reason why the spirit of adoption comes into us, which is the Holy Spirit, and cries out, Abba, Father. Because many of us, maybe some of us didn't even when we were growing up, but the only time that you called your dad, daddy, would be when you were little, right? And that's that word, Abba. It's, it's the intimate between, between father and son or father and daughter. And I call, I, call him, I call him daddy. I'm 41. I would not think of calling my father that, right? Just dad, right? Because you grow up and you grow out of it. But things in the kingdom, we are never to grow out of. We are to, actually, I believe that we grow down even in our understanding as we grow up in maturity. And what's maturity? I like what Colossians 3.14 says in the Passion. It says, love's the mark of true maturity. And so we're constantly growing in love. And then another thing that I believe Jesus is saying to us out of this passage is that little children always see with eyes of wonder. Unless they've been damaged or messed in some kind of messed up situation. Right, kids that are even raised in a relatively healthy household will see through eyes of wonder. Right now, some kids I know there's exceptions to this, but the majority of them will look at the world like it's brand new. Everything that they see. Have you ever seen a kid go to the zoo? You're like, for the first time. You're like, or the second, or the third, and they get so excited. Right? This is. Literally, what I believe Jesus is saying to us about becoming children of the kingdom is that being in awe and wonder of him means that there's excitement every day of my journey with him. And the only way I lose that excitement is that I get lethargic in my walk with him or I get jaded by life or church or both. I've run into people. See, I didn't grow up in church. And I run into people when I first came into the kingdom, and I was so excited. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm still really excited. If you can't see it on my face, this isn't just Sunday face. This is, a, this is just me. What you see is what you get. And so <clears throat> I've run into people that literally are like, I've just been jaded. But I've seen, I've, I've seen this stuff for the last 20 years. I've seen miracles, I've seen, you know, I mean, I've listened to the gospel, I've seen demons leave, I've, whatever, you name it, make your list. And like, ah, oh, I'm just, I'm jaded from it, from different things that have happened throughout church history, because though it wasn't the miracles, and though it wasn't the preaching of the gospel, it was the things that happened in between, that people did, that weren't supposed to cause us to be jaded, but offense rises up inside of our hearts. And when a fence rises up in our heart, it takes us into the trap that actually causes our lives to lose all in wonder that looks very similar to unbelief. 
Good news is that there's a very quick way out of that. Because God's grace is sufficient in every season, right? And he knew that you and I would be in positions like this. That we would have a roller coaster ride in our Christian life at times. But he would provide a way through himself and through revelation by the Spirit of God, through the Scriptures, through the Word of God, that we would actually come into maturity and realize that the Christian life is about staying in awe and wonder so that we can continually ascend the hill of the Lord. It's constant ascension. It is not ever supposed to look like this. If there's ever a desert season in my life or whatever you want to call it, a wilderness, I, I, I don't know how that happens when we understand that God's been pouring out since Pentecost. So if I'm in a desert, it has to be between my ears. It can't be my born-again state. And I can't be in a wilderness, technically, because I entered into the promised land the moment that I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> so how can I go back to the wilderness? It just feels that way, right? And that's why I live by my feelings. I live by what I see. I've done all that. I understand what that's like. There's grace for that. I'm just saying that I believe God is actually rearranging things for us in this season to help us live out of the place that we were always created to live out of, which is awe and wonder. You say, well, how do I, how do I continue to live like a little child, right, when I've seen all that's going on in the world? I can tell you that more information is not always serving you well. Because if more information messes you up and causes you to detach your heart from people, then I'd shut that information down. I would rather be ignorant and have my love on towards people and remain high hope than have more information that causes me to be jaded and disconnected and have a skewed view of the rest of the world to where I don't have hope anymore. And therefore, I become useless to those that are around me. Just my perspective. I know we live in an information time. They say information is power. I just wonder who's power. Just a question. I don't know. Just trying to get you to think. And so, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I'll end with this. I told you you are going to see a sign of no wonder today. Proverbs chapter uh, 4, verse 23. This is out of the NASB. It says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Watch over your heart with all diligence. In other translations, it says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for from, from it flows the springs of life. That actually, if you look at that in the original, uh, if you look at it in the Hebrew, you're back to the roots of what that means. It doesn't mean to protect your heart like this. When we come into the kingdom, our responsibility is no longer to protect our own hearts. Jesus does that. Our responsibility is to love with heart wide open. Now, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't have boundaries in relationships. I'm not saying we bring messy people into our home. I'm not saying you should pick up hitchhikers and say you can come stay the night. Like, I'm not saying any of that, right? I'm saying, but I am saying that I, I know, so the Holy Spirit, which is also the spirit of wisdom, gives me wisdom to know what I can and cannot do in any given situation concerning loving someone. But it will always involve me loving them. It just may look different for different people because not everybody gets loved the same. 
right? Not everybody, I'm sorry, not everybody needs love the same way. Like I could talk to a room full of, of, of guys that are a little more rough and rugged, and I've got to give them truth a little straighter in some situations than I can to a room full of people of, of men, women, and children. It, it's effective communicating, right? And so how do I effectively love a person in a situation? And the Holy Spirit knows the answer to every one of those, so I don't have to figure that out on my own. Isn't that good? <laughs> He's just good like that. But I am saying that my responsibility, when I live in a messed up world, outside of a relationship with Jesus, me guarding my own heart makes perfect sense. Because you, you live around messed up people and you do messed up things and you got, you know, <laughs> there's no honor amongst thieves. <laughs> Regardless of what that old saying is, that says there is, I can guarantee you there's not. And so guarding your own heart makes perfect sense. But when I come into the kingdom, Jesus said, I've got your heart. Not only am I giving you a new one, but I've got your heart. Will you trust me with it? Will you trust me with all of it? But what this passage actually is saying is that pay attention to what's inside your heart. Pay attention to what comes into your heart. Because those are the things that, that result in offense. Those are the things that result in me getting jaded, me becoming numb, me losing awe and wonder of God, me no longer being moved by the name of Jesus when I can just hear the gospel and just it doesn't even move me at all. Right? Those are the things that are in my heart that cause that, re that result, that outward reaction or the lack thereof. He says, pay attention to it. Again, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go deep diving into your, your inward life. But I am saying this. Because nobody, Jesus, King David said, Lord, you search me. Right? This, that's what I do. I don't, because anytime I get introspective and I begin to look deep inside of myself, I do not come out feeling good. Because I'll find something, even if it's not there, you know what I mean? I'm like, i got to have somebody to forgive. There's some bitterness. There's got to be something in there, right? Surely. So I don't go there anymore. I literally say, Holy Spirit, I ask that you search me. You know me, and if there's anything that's in me that you need to bring up, when I sit with you, you'll do it. Or when I'm driving, you'll do it. Or whenever. Like, he'll whisper it. At a convenient or maybe seemingly an inconvenient or an inconvenient time, right? I've had some moments with Jesus that seemed pretty inconvenient, right? That he wanted to do something. And so I pay attention. And so go ahead, if you would, stand with me. I'm going to ask you just to be real and vulnerable over the next few minutes. Offense, being jaded, numb, whatever it is, familiarity with Jesus, familiarity with the people around you, all that big ball of stuff right there. If we've got into any of it, now is going to be a moment I believe Holy Spirit's going to do a miraculous work in our hearts. Because this stuff like this, these moments don't have to be a process that lasts weeks and months or years. I love inner healing, I love all that stuff. But we must never forget what God can do in a moment. <laughs> and I don't have to submit to this process where I go through a whole bunch of stuff. Do all that too. 
But never forget what Jesus can do in a moment. I don't ever want to become so familiar with a theology or a type of ministry that I lose the awe and wonder of him and the probabilities of what he can do. (laughs) Yes, Jesus. So as I pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to come, just ask you to just get rid of that stuff. If any of that hits you, and I believe he's going to bring us back into a place of awe and wonder that you and I get the privilege of choosing to stay in for the rest of our lives. And so Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come with everything that you've got for this group of people, everybody watching? As we just unpack anything that we have that's robbed us of further revelation in the word, if we've become so familiar with passages anywhere within your living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword word, we pray that you bring us back to awe and wonder. If we've become familiar with you, Jesus, in a way that we've lost awe and wonder of you, I pray that we would regain it like little children in this moment if we've become so familiar with the people that are around us that we no longer recognize the grace, the gift that they are, the anointing on their life, that we've stopped inadvertently or intentionally stopped honoring them. And it's robbing us of what you want us to have. Lord, help us in this moment to see them the way that you do. If we have got jaded from church things that people have done, choices that they have made that were outside of your nature, Father. If we've got offended at people or you, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would search us. Some of us, you've already brought it up in our minds as I was talking. We just give that stuff to you right now. It doesn't belong to us. I thank you that you created us to be unoffendable. I thank you that you're growing us in that. We let your love in to those places in our heart that need it right now. We receive your love. We lay back in your arms. Loving Father, we receive your love. We receive your love. I thank you you never looked at us sideways, never got mad at us one moment that we took on an offense or, or lacked spiritual hunger or thirst for you or got jaded in any way. I thank you that you constantly, just like you always will be, have, have been wooing us, wooing us into your arms deeper, deeper still. I thank you. I thank you that you are so good we haven't even begun to comprehend your goodness. Thank you. We set all that stuff we've unpacked at your feet, Jesus. We exalt you above it all. Yeah. Bring us back into that place. Like little children, back restore would you the joy of our salvation the fire Lord 
that we once walked in, would you not just restore it, but would you add to what's already there in us? Consume us. We want to live burning for you, passionate for your name, hungry for the things of you, satisfied only by you. We worship you, King Jesus, our bridegroom King. We give all of us to you right now, every bit of us. We surrender all over again. And if we need to be born again, again today, I pray that goes down right now. That each one of us would just believe all over again, choose you all over again, just like in a good marriage. We choose you, Jesus, all over again. We surrender, we submit to you being our Lord, our King, our Father, our friend, our Savior. Us being sons, daughters, bondservants. May our light never grow dim again. May we constantly grow in love and stay in that place like little children, eyes full of wonder for you, for everything about the kingdom. We thank you for that today. Bless the work you're doing in every family in this place. Thank you that the kids got to be present today. I thank you that we have a lot to learn from them. Watching them, how they, they have fun, Lord. They haven't lost their laughter. <laughs> we thank you, Father, for restoring the joy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We worship you, Jesus. This is all for you. This life is for you. Every bit of it. All of it. Thank you. Thank you. We've got a prayer team that's going to come up here. You got a prayer team? <laughs> I knew he did. He was messing with me. But if God's doing something right now, we don't want you to go anywhere. You can stay right where you're at. I just know a bunch of you got kids and if they can be still with you that's fine if they need to go then by all means we bless you we thank you so much for being here God's doing some big things in our lives and I'm really excited about it so if you need prayer for anything our prayer team's up here healing of any kind some of you may have got already healed during worship or just now we don't have to even be praying for healing to God to heal he just does it he's just good like that we see that happen you just want somebody to partner with you in prayer. These people would love to do that. So thanks, Jesus, for everything you're continuing to do. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless you guys. Thanks again for being here.
Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.org.